Medina. Life, love and laughter. Special guest in the studio and no stranger to the studio is Ian Hopkins. I've invited Ian back into the studio because Ian was actually one of my very first guests when I started my podcast series and I was keen to talk to him about his books. So let's go back to Scalp the Aged and of course the Buick stops here. Did you see that from memory? Did you see that? Impressive. I'm holding... The trilogy, the the final book, which is The Lambshank Redemption. And thanks, Ian. Thanks so much for coming in to, to talk to me about the book. And let's go back to, first of all, your very first book. <laughs> what was actually the first book that you ever wrote? Ever? Uh, probably something that's in a drawer uh, about uh, a comedian who had a pretty tragic uh, upbringing. Uh, and sorry, not so much up. Yeah, upbringing and life, and it's still in the drawer. And I'll go back to it eventually, and I I do it occasionally. And it's called it's after Lenny Bruce's famous phrase that comedy uh, comes from the equation. Um, let me get this right. Pain plus time equals humour, and that was that kind of kicked me off in that. And the title, the working title of the novel, that probably never be published, is the timing of pain. Sorry to be so serious. We thought you were going to have a laugh, Gina. After the laugh we've just had behind the scenes for the past 20-odd minutes? No, not at all. And I don't you'd... think the view, sorry, the listeners should go into that, should they? <laughs> no, but we before we started this, you said we are chatting about, well, what might you ask me? And I didn't want to tell you I was going to ask you that question because I'm intrigued to know this writing, this incredible writing ability that you've got, where it really comes from and that first thing that you ever wrote. You know, I can remember right. the first song that I ever played, the first the moment that I wanted to be a presenter. Right. So that's why I wanted to ask you that. So should I be in search of this book now because it's going to be worth a fortune? Right, the first book? Yes. Right, the Scalp the Aged. Yeah. The, the one that kicked it off. Well, I think I probably told you uh, at the time, it's not a conventional um, career path if you've got a career comedy writing it's um we did it through sketches for television shows for a radio show and then stage play etc and if the truth has to be told scalp aged came from our last resort uh, whether we're going to turn it into a musical or uh, try and do it as a novel uh, and as frank sinatra had finally retired we couldn't get anybody to play the lead We've done the musical justice, so let's have a bash, John Dignan and I, uh, who's a co-writer, at a novel, and that's where the novel came from. It was firmly based on a stage play, and some discerning readers probably noticed that because they've said this would make great television and or a stage play, uh, and that's where it came from. And I want to talk to you about John in just a, a second, but going back to, you know, Skelp the Aged, now John was your writing partner. Am I right in saying this, that you met 40 odd years ago? Or you had a, was that when you first met? Seven, 1979, we sent our first, uh, we got our first check from the BBC for a sketch we sent to Not the Nine O'Clock News. So I probably knew him a couple of years before that. I think I, maybe I, I can't remember. I've told the story so often. We were closet writers. We actually met in a closet, and we were closet writers. <laughs> the closet was the photocopying uh, part of what is now the University of uh, the Western Hemisphere. I was going to say University of the West of Scotland. It was Paisley Tech at the time, which became Paisley College of Technology, which became the University of Paisley. So we were in the same department, and we were both 
uh, naughty boys trying to photocopy our respective first bashes at a novel. Good on you. Uh, well, okay, don't tell him. Is that naughty? There's <laughs> no else out there now. And so when you first met John, was it an instant connection oh, that you thought? Absolutely. We just, we've, we've just connected, we're going to write together. Uh, it was like the brother I never had because I'm an only child, but he was one of eight, so I don't know why he took me on. He had plenty. When you, you know, with this trilogy, the, you know, these books... Did you did you plan that? You know, was that right? Okay, this is let's be really clear about the three books that we're going to write oh, together. The first one came from uh, revenge against two colleagues in the department who uh, proudly boasted of the scams at uh, scalping the agent. If you like, they would uh, get elderly, usually women, usually single women or widows mainly. Uh, to take their house off the market, make them an offer, and then they would go walk about and then come back and say, oh, we'll have to lower the offer. And they used to boast about what they did. And I think it was John initially that heard it at a dinner party. Uh, and he was so outraged at this. And that's where the, the original play came from, mm-hmm. and the book. Because if you read the book, you see, uh, well, we kind of changed them in case they sued us. But they were, we turned them into Australians rather than... <laughs> Uh, Scots, a Scotsman and an Englishman of a certain predilection that we're not allowed to talk about these days. But they were partners in every sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see, right? Okay, I'm, I'm, on, I'm reading between the lines here. And is this the dream from what you're saying to actually have these books turned into a television show, a movie? Would that be the dream? Uh, no, I think we had kind of given up on that dream and we're very happy just being published authors. Uh, I'm speaking in the present tense for John, but... Uh, You'll probably ask me uh, about them. We'll leave that aside just now. At the time, no, we're just delighted to be published and to see the thing in print. But unsolicitedly, many people have said this would make great television uh, and or stage. And I think I might put Ian Gordon at the pavilion with the original stage play because I still think it would be great. A hundred percent. Let's chat about John in just a second, but let's get right into the Lamb Shank uh, redemption, of well, course. Do you, want, or do you want me to t- take me to the second one? Oh, that, I like how you're not missing out. Yes, and the Buick stops here. Yes, uh-huh. Well, the, and, and then we'll, uh, the third one will make more sense. The first one was in simple language, was that it's firmly 100% on a stage play. I think I added, I added one outside bit where Mungo got out, out the, the mansion that's crumbling about his ears to a funeral. And that cheered them up for a day. The the second one, the second half, came from a television sitcom we had written about uh, grubby bookies based on a well-known chain in Glasgow that I better not mention. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows a grubby bookies, though. Don't yeah, but there's a chain of them, yeah. Okay. With the initials. Be careful. Okay. <laughs> not okay, but the case is certainly... I've got it, <laughs> yeah. So the set that the that came from a television. The third one, the Lamb Shamp Redemption, came from just letting Mungo loose. The main character would just let him loose to see where he would go and what would happen, because he had built up a so-called uh, empire of uh, bookies and uh, chip shop next door, as you'll see in the, the hippie chippy. One. The hippie chippy, you're right, and then there's the Dixie. Dixie Chick Salon, mm-hmm. the hairdresser that his wife forces him to buy because she's getting envious of his so-called business success. But that all just came from 
the ether, wherever it comes from. Fancy word, was it? Afflatus, divine inspiration, or in our case, about five or six pints of really good beer in <laughs> Tenants Bar by a road. <laughs> There's the answer right there. The Lamshank Redemption picks up from the second book. The Buick stops here. So yeah. Mungo is released from the slammer, as you said. He's released. Yes. And key question here for someone that's listening to the, to this podcast is, can you just pick up the Lamshank Redemption and read this book start to finish, having not read the previous books? Well, far be it from me to anticipate that the average intelligence level of her potential readers. But yeah, I would say we tried very much to do that. Uh, that was intention. Yeah, and in some ways, the second one was actually the hardest. We thought it would be the easiest because we had the characters from the first. But you've got to try and strike a balance between a new story and going over old ground a wee bit in terms of their background. And by the third one, I think maybe we had cracked that and we're unashamedly refer the reader, somebody had picked it up. If you want to know more about this history, then you can either get it in one or two or both. Uh, so, Gina, the answer to your question is, yes, I would certainly hope so. Okay, great. So read it. The idea is read it and then, ah, oh, must go back and read the previous books, Skelp the Aged but and that, the Buick Stops Here. Yeah, well, that wasn't, that, honestly, that was not the reason we wrote the third <laughs> book. The third book virtually wrote itself once we let Mungo loose. Where's it going to go next? Mungo Laird I tell you if ever I meet someone called Mungo Laird you are that guy <laughs> well Gina you're invited to the launch of the third book official launch in Waterstones the 21st of June get it in there 6.30 to 8.30 and I'm hoping to see him in fact I am seeing him tomorrow Mungo exists retrospectively I have made a friend with a guy who's exactly Mungo's age and he's exactly how I pictured him uh, so if you want to meet Mungo Laird, come he, to the night. Well, <laughs> I'm hoping he'll he'll do the first five minute introduction as Mungo in character, and that will break the ice for me. Which usually I had to break the ice for John. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. And okay, so if someone, how would you actually say? I was on Amazon and I read, of course, uh, the wonderful words about the book. You know, if you're listening just now and thinking, okay, exactly what is the book about and why should I read it? How would you describe the book in one sentence? That's putting you on the spot now, Ian. Yeah, so, well, <laughs> the, the trouble is I probably have to, in one sense, you, what happens is you st start to use words that uh, some people accuse you of being academic and philosophical, etc. But it's, you are an academic. No, and you shouldn't shy away from that. No, you are an academic. No, I was an academic, but not in the pejorative sense. You might have to look that way. <laughs> then, one word is, is picaresque adventures of uh, a Rui known as Mungo Laird, what he gets up to and what he thinks. It's a it's a kind of, uh, to use better writers than me, Jimmy Thurber's uh, Walter Mitty, a sort of daydreamer. He, he thinks he he, t he talks strategy and leaves others to get, pick up the mess he's left behind. Do all the work. We all know someone like that. <laughs> Absolutely. They're usually known as management, yeah. Picaresque <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adventures of Arui. That, and... Um, yeah, that's about as close. You've just sprung that one on. The hardest thing is to write a synopsis once you've written a book. Right? I suppose and so. And very often the hardest thing is to uh, get a title. We found out the first time. Um, I think this might lead you into you talking about John for a wee bit, Gina. Mm -hmm. The first title, John, never, it was very competitive, was in a, in a super funny way. Uh, the first 
title scalp the edge. John never forgave me for that because it was my title and he couldn't think of anything better. Damn! <laughs> so it stayed, right? The second one was 50 50 at the Buick Stops here. That one is 100%, and it's not just because he's gone, but that was his, the Lamshank Redemption. And you may have to edit this next bit. John was not only a talented academic, as you probably touch on in a minute, but mm -hmm. he was also talented writer to me, taught me to write in character and a few other things. I'm a much better writer than I would ever have been if I hadn't met John. But he was also a talented portrait artist and somebody's looking after us. That book is a memorial to John because he thought of the title and he also painted the front cover and that's in its original form. Pegasus, our publishers, did a fantastic job in the first two and got the, the professionals in to mm -hmm. polish it and tart it up. That is straight from John's pen, just copied. And this book might have to be taken out. It is a very, very good <laughs> copy of the Buckfast label in the front of a Buckfast bottle. Oh, I didn't even realise that, to be honest. <laughs> well, that says a lot for you, Jim. I didn't realise. Well, I know in the book... Uh, take that as a compliment. Okay, thank you. I've never tasted Buckfast, but from having it, and if you read this book, you'll understand what I mean. A wee Buckfast cocktail with a touch of Benelin. Bucky cocktail. <laughs> a Bucky cocktail, yes. <laughs> and I, I do like a book. I think I said this to you last time uh, with uh, some lovely little pictures. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but one of my favourites. Why not come in and grab one of your five-a-day and it's a picture of five alcoholic drinks. <laughs> and I think you actually said that's John in the picture. It is. In the book. So let's let's talk about John. So John sadly passed away, I think, three days before the book was actually published. Yeah, they, they had to really work. He suffered from, uh, latterly from motor neurons disease. He fought it for two and a half years and he was getting pretty bad towards the end and he was struggling to even manipulate the keyboard. But he, he got there and he did it. And the, the publishers were great. They, they knew he was struggling and he really uh, accelerated the publication date. But he never even got to hold the book. Oh. Uh, it was three days, literally three days. He died on the Thursday, Bleak Friday, and the book came out the next Monday. Yeah, it's real. But his legacy lives on. Oh, it's there. That's a, that's his memorial. What was uh, it like then, Ian, actually uh, working with him? Not just the best. Just can't imagine anything better. Yeah. I mean, you've had a relationship for 40 odd years. 40 years, yeah. 40 years writing, yeah. 40 off, years. Off and on. Clearly a clever man. So I'm right in saying this, that he had a double first class honours degree in economics and economic history. Strathclyde, yes. Wow. Master's degree and doctorate in psychology from Glasgow University. Yes. What a brain he must have yeah, had. Well, advanced qualification uh, done commercially through... Uh, some outfit in Glasgow uh, for French because he loved French and, he, and that enabled him not only to enjoy the French holidays that he loved with Margaret, but also he was a visiting lecturer at about half a dozen different business schools and universities in, in France. Mm -hmm. He's the cleverest guy. I've, I've supposed to have met a lot of clever people academically, etc., etc. He's the cleverest guy by far I've ever met. And what really made him tick? He obviously loved learning and had a great sense of humour. What really made him tick? Was it the writing? Sharing his knowledge? What really made him tick? Well, tick just parts off a joke in me. He was a big <laughs> tick fan. He was <laughs> Watching Celtic made him tick, you know. Having a laugh made him tick. Writing comedy made him tick. And, and 
actually learning for learning's sake made him tick. That's what kept him going to, uh, I, I was going to say a ripe old age, but 73, given that I'm 75, it's no longer a ripe old age. Uh, I had to say so many things. It's just a love of life and a curiosity and a great, great brain. I, I, I'm disappointed that I didn't get a chance to yeah, to, to meet me too, him. Gina. I really am. Um, and in terms of when he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, which is a horrible crippling disease, my uncle passed away from that. So I, I have a little bit of experience of handling that. And it's awful to watch because you feel the person's dying before your eyes. I mean, that's pretty much what's happening. Yeah, well, the saddest sad thing is he's, you're yeah. captured. Yeah. Physically, you're a wreck, but your brain is probably even more active than ever and you know what's going on and there's not a thing you can do about it and he never complained once did he accept it yes and he in, in what he way did he dealt with it as best he could and, and took all the the many assistances he had from motor neurons association the national health service he couldn't praise them highly enough and these people came and visited the house increasingly as it got worse and they always left laughing and feeling better because that's the kind of guy he was. And how did you cope with it, Ian? I personally would have found that very difficult. You know, this is your, your writing partner. Well, John didn't do depression. He didn't go into black holes, but unfortunately I do depression probably a couple of times a year, and that last one was the worst I've ever had, occasioned by other people's deaths as well. Our editor, Gordon Kirk, and dear friend Russell Campbell beforehand. I knew John's was coming, was coming, but it didn't make it any easier and I just got worse and worse in terms of it. But I, I suppose trying to get the book finished helped both of us because he said that. He, I said, John, if you're not fit for this, we chuck it. And he said, no, Ian, it says, now waking up at two or three or four in the morning, this is a reason for getting up or at least working in bed as I had to probably at the end. How did I cope with it? The answer's very badly. But I've got through it now and I didn't want to... Uh, have the road show and go on tour, etc., etc. But it was his wife, Margaret, said, no, she said, John would have wanted you to, so I'm doing it. And I'll enjoy it and I'll think of him. I'm oh, choking up here, Gina. I'm choking up here. And you know I said this to you, that I had, oh, I cried when I read your obituary. Oh, right, I'll stop my tears. I cried when I read your... I hasten to add that it's not my obituary. It was the one <laughs> oh, I wrote. Oh, no, sorry. It was, the one I wrote, it was the one I wrote for John. When I read, I'll rephrase that and you, you pick me up on that. When I read the obituary Sorry, that you wrote for... I, I like um, to laugh still, it's okay. When I read what you wrote, it was just beautiful and you can actually tell, and you can read this actually if you go to the website, you sent me a link for this. Yeah, um, I can't remember what the website is, but it was in the... Well, the Herald. It was in the Herald, yeah. If you go in, John Dignan obituary, yeah. And the words were just beautiful. And you've painted a gorgeous picture of him and who he was as yep. a character, his yep. strength, his love for learning. I don't feel I've done myself justice here. I kind of fall back on, I think it was uh, Nabokov, a guy probably wrote Lolita, amongst other things. And he said, what did he say? Uh, I, th I think as a genius, I write as an expert, but I speak as a child. And that's how I feel as if I am just now. Because it was much easier for me to paint a picture of John in words, written words, I mean, rather yeah. than right now. And also the fact I've still got a lump in my throat every time I mention it. I know. So, uh, well, of course, I mean, you said this yourself, it's a huge hole in your heart. You know, it's someone that... Yeah. I mean, how do you now, how do you move on from that? Because... Well, 
He'll never be replaced, but there are guys out there as well, like Sir Neil Clark. We've written a play set in 1968 called Good Times, uh, set in a clothing factory in Glasgow, and we're hoping to get that on the stage reasonably soon. It's out at three different uh, theatre companies, etc. Just now. Um, what else? I'm probably going back to the, I've gone back to the novel uh, that I may eventually finish one day, um, and Neil and I are also trying to do, because he's a lot of experience in radio, still has, he's still active. Uh, uh, Gary Tank Commander, etc. Oh, yeah, et cetera. Gary. Yeah, talented guy, Neil. Uh, you know, very lucky to be involved with him. Uh, and we're doing another, trying a radio play, uh, hopefully with a view to a series, with a view to get it on television, and it's about recycling uh, plastic. Uh, as per the dustbin collections, etc. Okay. But it's a, a, sin, a sinister undertone because I think, for instance, the Daily Mail campaign is uh, removing the plastic faster than the Neds can drop it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. Spoiler alert, um, no more. <laughs> no more, yeah, no more. Save that. That's what's called a tease, keeping up a huge tease. Right. Do you, I, this is, I feel like this is quite a profound question to ask you, but I feel like... Um, profound question? Oh, oh, oh I, I feel like I, I need to ask you this question. Go for it. Are you religious? And as much as do I believe in God. Yeah, well, I believe there's something there. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Do you believe... I'm a lapsed Protestant. Okay, right. <laughs> so... Do you believe that John has passed over? Do you believe that he's still with you? Do you believe he's no, looking over you? Just, he and Gordon Kirk and Russell Campbell, I've got the free memorial services on my writing desk, so I think about them and look at them every day. I, f- I feel as if I could converse with John. I, oh, I'll be doing something, maybe writing. So what would John have made of this? Yeah, so I go back and have another look at it because I think he would probably have topped what I think is pretty good and then I'd make it better because... Not exactly in communication with him in the normal sense, but uh, he'll always be in my head, right? So, John, how do you think John would want to be remembered? As somebody who made other people laugh. He said that himself. If you ask him, why do you write these books? To make people laugh. End of. What do you think he would, watching or listening to us just now, what would he want this book this is why you've come in we've gone off and covered all sorts of subjects but what do you think he would really want from this particular book you know the Lambshank Redemption that you say was pretty much him pretty much his his baby what do you think he would really want the next thing to be for this book whether it would be a TV show or to sell a million copies what do you think he really would want from this book I don't know and I think if you ask me I really don't know either I'm just delighted that the Pegasus had had the faith in us, and we've now got three books that were both of us were very proud of in terms of um, just, just various things. And if you get the satire that's involved, then people really laugh and follow about, it and that that's a reward in itself. So, would you say then just understanding the characters, a fun read, good yeah, sense of humour? Yeah, I want to read it, especially if they've read the first and moved to the second and the. the going to the third one and unsolicited but it's official this one is the best of the three and the reason I say that is my wife said it (laughs) well it must be true then in that case absolutely Uh, on a positive note and thank you for sharing that about John on a positive note are you going on the road are you going on tour what is the plan Uh, I know you said you've not really had a vision but there must be a plan it's funny you should ask that Gina because I asked you to (laughs) (laughs) um 
I'm hoping that, um, well, it will take place. There's a crime writer called uh, Frank Muir. He writes under the name T.F. Muir because there was a Frank Muir of Muir and Norden and equity. So it was, he had to change. I just say, Ian, I love when you're talking to me, you can do the same thing when you hit the day, you're pointing things out. You're so gesticular. Is that a word? Is it a word when you're like... A male's not supposed to be testicular. Sorry, oh, best to... oh, you and your words. <laughs> you and your playing words. Sorry, dead. So Frank and I were going to be doing a Q&A session and then we thought, or I thought, uh, I've got to know Brian Beacom of the Herald. I call him the show best writer. He'll probably hate me for Lovely that. man, very intelligent man. Really? Well, uh, well, that's a compliment because he seems to like me and he wrote a great article about John and I way back in November 12th. Um, last year and it helped with the, the obituary I wrote a uh, couple of weeks back with John so I've got to know Brian very well and I'm very fond of him and I asked him if he'd be interested so cut a long long story short it looks like we'll be doing one or two performances at least where Brian will be in the chair and Frank Muir the crime writer will be on one side and Hopkins for want of a better word the satirical comedy writer will be in the other and I think it, it could be uh, Makings of a good evening. On the road again. That's the one, Willie. <laughs> That's it. That sounds fabulous. Well, I genuinely wish you all the best with that. I, will, I would love to come to that. But most You're importantly, invited. thank you, Ian. Personally invited. Well, I'll be on the guest list. Uh, you've been the front row. I, thank you. Asking questions. I think um, I would just like to plug, of course, your, your night. I know you mentioned this earlier on in the podcast, um, but your night in June, of course. Oh. All invited? Oh, welcome. Yeah. Waterstone, Socky Hall Street, 6.30 to 8.30. And if you're early enough, the, you might catch the publisher's generous allowance for a glass of wine. <laughs> or two. Well, you nearly need to be early. <laughs> or two. And, of course, I have to end by saying the book is available on Amazon. Amazon, yeah. It'll be available in all respectable bookshops. But it should be... Uh, virtually now do get yourself a copy and come along I'm quite sure Ian and I feel as if, feel as if it's our night uh, Ian and I would love to see you at the- <laughs> <laughs> great Gina at the special do at the special uh, at the special night and my final thing is I just have to get you to to sign the copy of the book with pleasure and I'd just like to say thanks very much it's always a pleasure coming in here not at all with John of course in spirit as well yes very much so oh bless you thanks very much Ian Hopkins thank you so much for coming in and making me cry. Gina. Life, love and laughter. Like and share us and come back for the next episode next week.